Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. All of a sudden, I heard a gunshot. And I thought, oh my God. And I remember placing my cheek on that cold marble floor with this sense of resignation that, how could, how could this be? I'm in this tabernacle of democracy in my country. This is Playbook Deep Dive. I'm Rachel Bade, one of your Playbook authors. On January 8th, California Representative Jackie Speer led 46 of her Democratic colleagues in a letter to Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Their message? Form an independent commission to investigate exactly what happened two days prior, on January 6th, 2021. My job is to not allow the insurrection of January 6th to be a footnote in history. And we aren't going to be able to do that unless we are very serious about moving forward with a commission that does just that. Now, fast forward to this week. The House passed a bill that would form a version of the commission that Speer and lawmakers on both sides have been calling for for months now. It's the result of a deal Speaker Pelosi struck with moderate Republican John Katko. The commission would be bipartisan. Five Democrats, five Republicans... Sounds pretty straightforward, right? Not exactly. This week's vote on the commission, like January 6th itself, exposed some serious rifts on the Hill, rifts that are about to get even wider as the bill heads to the Senate. It's very clear Trump is not gonna go off quietly into the night. Like he is playing a very big role in Republicans' chances of taking back the Senate and the House. And I think that, you know, McConnell probably recognizes that. Marianne Levine is my colleague and fellow congressional enthusiast. I am a Senate reporter for Politico. She's talking to me today from her home away from home, Capitol Hill. So right now I am in a phone booth in the Daily Press Gallery. Like Representative Speer, she also was in the Capitol on January 6th. I was, yeah, it was, um, it was frightening. On Wednesday, the House passed a bill that would create this commission and a handful of Republicans, 35 in fact, ended up voting for this bill even though Minority Leader Mitch McConnell put his foot down earlier in the day and said he would not support this bill. That was after Kevin McCarthy did the same earlier in the week. What is clear is that House Democrats have handled this proposal in partisan bad faith, going right back to the beginning. Marianne, was that surprising to you? It was a little bit surprising in the sense that McConnell was so definitive and had yet said he was undecided the day before. <laughs> undecided except decided. <laughs> exactly. Um, he's not going to tell us at that point. You've been going up to the Hill throughout the pandemic, but what does it look like up there? Is it getting busier? How has it been changing over the past, you know, few days? It's getting much busier. I think we're back to the times where we had very crowded scrums, where everyone is surrounding senators who are viewed as swing votes on various issues. And um, it really feels like we are going back to the pre-pandemic times. I think one thing that is also reminiscent of pre-coronavirus is that a lot of us have stopped wearing masks or it's, it's a little bit unclear right now what we're supposed to do with our masks because a lot of reporters are vaccinated and 
a lot of reporters, um, you know, are open to taking off their masks, but it's kind of a range on whether or not the senators are um, masked or unmasked. So it's been a little bit of an adjustment period. I usually carry a mask around with me and put one on if I'm talking to a member who has a mask on and take it off if the member doesn't have a mask on. But the the vibe on the Hill does feel like we are going back to the pre-pandemic phase and it's starting to feel a little bit more normal than it has for the last year or so. Let's um let's talk about this 9-11 style commission. Um, mm-hmm. What exactly does it mean to have a 911 style commission for January 6th? Can you just sort of lay it out for our listeners? What do people mean by that? Yeah, so the idea behind the commission is to really investigate the events that occurred on January 6th. And this has been, the Capitol insurrection has been hanging over the Senate and the House since the start of the year. Um, We had an impeachment trial earlier this year, and the commission was really viewed by Democrats as a way to really re-examine the events of um, the insurrection. But it has now become a political sticking point. And basically what the House's version of the commission would do would be to investigate the events that occurred on January 6th. And from my understanding, the commission that the House voted on on Wednesday would It'd be a 10-member commission total. Five members would be Republicans. Five members would be Democrats. And um, they would basically do a probe into what led to the insurrection. Yeah, I think one of the things I find particularly interesting about the idea of a commission is that, you know, Democrats have been investigating Trump now for over two years, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Now the former president, but, you know, the last two years of his presidency. The big difference in a commission, it feels like, this would be the first time we'd see a bipartisan mm-hmm. oversight process. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of times we saw Republicans attack whatever the Democrats were investigating on Trump. They said, look, it's a Pelosi committee. Mm-hmm. It's Adam Schiff, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee. You know, they're out to get him. It's unfair. And the thought process, I guess, behind this commission, kind of like what they did after, you know, the bombing of the Twin Towers uh, mm-hmm. in New York City, is to create this sort of bipartisan group where no one could point to the other side and say they're unfair because they mm-hmm. would both have to jump together. And it seems like we don't really see oversight like that anymore in this day and age. People, both parties working together, do we? No, I mean, I think especially in the era of Trump, um, the Democrats and Republicans have had a very partisan experience, I think, over the last four years. And I think that was very much evident in the impeachment trials that we saw. And, you know, I think January 6th was a moment in history and in time where we saw um, the GOP, or at least some members of the GOP, um, turn against the former president. Now, that's changed the more distance we've had from the insurrection. But there is a sense, I think, among members of Congress to really investigate what happened. And I think part of that, too, is the members' lives were put at risk on January 6th. And I think this is a much more personal experience than, say, Trump's Ukraine call. And so I think that that's part of the reason why I think we're seeing more, at least some bipartisanship around the idea of a commission, because it's something that lawmakers all agree on, regardless of party, that something like January 6th should never happen again. Right, right. And so this commission, the idea then would be for them to, I assume, put out some sort of report. That's what they would have done or hearings. What If it were to happen, and we'll talk about whether that's realistic here in a few minutes, what, what would it sort of look like, I guess? 
My understanding is that basically would give the members of the commission subpoena power. And that can look at a lot of different areas. I think there's, you know, some Democrats have said that there's potential to bring in House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy as a witness. And so the scope of the subpoena power, I think that that's something that's a big motivator for members to have this commission. But I think it's also worth noting that there are also committees on the Senate side and on the House side who are also investigating the events of January 6th. What are the general concerns then from Republicans who are saying they don't want this to happen? Republicans basically are arguing that the commission is duplicative, and they also are hesitant about the structure of the commission. Now, even though the commission is bipartisan because Speaker Nancy Pelosi struck a deal with Representative John Katko, who's viewed as a moderate Republican, on the commission and on the makeup and how the commission would work, Republicans have concerns about staffing. They have concerns about Democrats having priority over staffing and the chair basically being picked by the Democrats. And they're arguing that that would make this whole process partisan. Yeah. I want to actually go back to January when this idea started first percolating. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because, you know, when the idea of a commission first came about, I remember Republicans were the ones pushing for a bipartisan commission that had equal representation between Democrats and Republicans, Mm -hmm. both sides having subpoena power, and they very much were supportive of this idea of taking an investigation out of the hands of politicians, active politicians, and putting it into, you know, these appointed, removed figures' hands and letting them look at it. But then Pelosi sort of introduced, you know, her version of this commission, and it was Mm -hmm. actually led by Democrats, where only Democrats would have subpoena power, and it would very much be sort of a one-sided thing. And I remember I uh, it was in the first few weeks of Playbook at the time, and I was curious about this, and, you know, I called the chair and the vice chair of the 9-11 commission, who are Mm -hmm. still alive, and they were the ones who ran this sort of bipartisan probe. 20 years ago and got a lot of, you know, praise for the work they did across the aisle. And I said, what do you think of this commission Pelosi is introducing? And they said, this is not fair, generally speaking. They said, it cannot be controlled by one party. You have to have Mm -hmm. equal representation, equal Mm -hmm. subpoena power. And I remember writing about that in Playbook and Republicans were like, see, even the 9-11 commission people say Pelosi is wrong. <laughs> Fast forward a month later and you have John Katko, this moderate Republican close with McCarthy, who actually negotiated with a Democrat, uh, Benny Thompson, who Pelosi allowed to negotiate this deal. Democrats gave Republicans basically almost everything they wanted on this mm-hmm. so that the commission was both sides equal representation, both sides subpoena power. Mm-hmm. And yet... Uh, McCarthy <laughs> still saying no. Well, I mean, what gives there? What gives? <laughs> I mean, I think we're seeing just a changing dynamic. I think that the further apart we are from January 6th, the closer we've seen Republicans gravitate back to former President Donald Trump. The more distance we've had from the insurrection has also made Republicans, I think, reflect. And I think a lot of Republicans are tired of talking about January 6th. We saw the recent ousting of Liz Cheney, which was all about the insurrection on the House side. And so I think part of this is that, A, um, the mood has changed. And I think that Republicans are saying we want to move forward. And B, they also are arguing that they have their committees that are looking into it. And they, they argue that it's obviously important to figure out what happened on 
on January 6th, but they don't want this commission from the House basically determining where that's going. And they're arguing that the committee investigations are already bipartisan and that the FBI is also looking into it. So I think the more distance we've had from the six, the less urgency Republicans are feeling about having a commission because they can point to these other areas where there are investigations of um, what occurred. And obviously, of course, Trump is a big factor in all this. He recently said this week that he opposes the commission. And so we're seeing, particularly on the House side, less so on the Senate side, but particularly on the House, the influence Trump has continued to have over McCarthy. He's continued to have it over House Republicans. Um, On the Senate side, there's a little bit of a contrast. Leader McConnell has basically said that he wants to move on. He doesn't talk to the former president anymore. So there is a differing dynamic between the two chambers. But I think a lot of what we're seeing is just distance from the six. People are looking towards next year. I think another concern Republicans have is they don't want these results of the commission investigation coming out in an election year and having to talk again about former President Trump in January 6th. Let's talk about some of those personal dynamics, because I think that's really fascinating. You mentioned McCarthy and Trump and that sort of relationship there and how this has influenced this entire process. Um, it's important for people to keep in mind that, you know, this is a, as much about McCarthy's own ambition to be speaker someday mm-hmm. as it is about any investigation, right? And mm-hmm. you mentioned Trump putting out this statement uh, what did he call it? Like a democratic trap or something like this? Yeah, he basically lambasted the whole thing, right? Um, and said it was not um, that he he vehemently opposed it, right? And so McCarthy, in terms of wanting to be speaker someday and knowing that he needs Trump's backing to have that job to get the votes to do that job uh, when they flip the house, which seems likely next election during the midterms, mm-hmm. um, he knows he's got to stay on in Trump's good graces, and so. It's really interesting because, you know, there's that relationship. And then he's also got a personal relationship with John Katko, the Republican who struck this deal Mm -hmm. with Democrats. Um, They're Mm -hmm. close. He had actually encouraged Katko to negotiate, from my understanding, in our reporting. Mm -hmm. They had actually given Katko, like, a list of everything they wanted. And again, Katko got most of it. And yet they're still (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) – he's still throwing Katko under the bus, refusing to accept the deal and actually – trying to muscle Republicans against it right now. Yeah. I mean, you also have reported a lot on McCarthy. Um, I'm curious to get your take on his change on this commission. I mean, Representative Katko was given the ability and freedom to strike a deal with Democrats. And how do you think this whole thing fell apart? And why do you think McCarthy suddenly switched gears on Katko, who is on his whip team? Uh, It's a great question. There are a lot of Republicans speculating behind the scenes that McCarthy didn't actually think Katko could get this deal. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like uh, Republicans and and people close with McCarthy thought they could continue to make these requests, which were entirely reasonable, you know, that this commission be bipartisan, that it be comprised of an even number of Republicans and Democrats. Mm -hmm. But they assumed Pelosi would never give them that. And so when she did, he was sort of caught flat-footed. It doesn't really matter. They could make every change McCarthy wants, and he still can't support this because Trump won't let him. And he has made a calculation that he can only be speaker Mm -hmm. if he has the ex-president in his corner. So he's not going to do anything that could bring him, you know, crosswise with Trump. And so... That's where you sort of have this weird situation where he empowered a lawmaker to make a deal 
And that lawmaker did make a deal, and he still is not able to accept it. He just thought, it sounds like he thought it would never happen. So that's why you see the the uh, about face. So it's just really fascinating to see with McCarthy. Mm-hmm. It's always about, you know, number one, which is, you know, Trump and wanting to be speaker. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's kind of, it will be interesting to see how this affects his relationships with some of his members, like Katko, you know, after basically feeding him to the wolves. Yeah, and I think it's telling, too, about just how much influence Trump has on the House side versus the Senate side. I mean, I think that, you know, on the House side... you know, a single Trump endorsed candidate can really ruin someone's primary. And um, I think that there's just the way that the two chambers are designed, that Trump inherently can have more influence in some of these House races than he can in the Senate, where senators are up every six years, they're able to define themselves much more clearly often than the House members are. And I think a lot of this, too, is just about the effect that Republicans, especially on the House side, are depending on Trump to really help them take back the House in um, next November. Right. Let's go to McConnell and unpack some of that a little more. So earlier this week, McConnell was kind of almost a little silent after this this deal was struck. Uh, Mm. The deal was announced last Friday. He could have weighed in on it at any point. He didn't say anything for a while. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, he suggested that he potentially was open to it, uh, telling reporters that he hadn't made up his mind. And then we find out that, you know, moments before he actually said that, he was expressing serious concern behind the scenes with his own members. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about sort of McConnell's calculation here, because he is different than McCarthy. He doesn't... Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't love Trump or want to cozy up to Trump the same way McCarthy does. And he has criticized Trump for January 6th before. So what sort of gives? Like, what is the long term, I guess, calculation there? I should preface this by saying I try to take McConnell at face value for what he says because he doesn't say a lot. And then when he does speak, (laughs) you have to listen pretty carefully. Um, But I would say that, you know, I think part of this is um, McConnell has been very big about we need to move on from Trump. And my sense is that Republicans don't really want to be talking about this like commission next year. Those who um, obviously want what happened on January 6th investigated, which I would say most or probably all Senate Republicans want some sort of investigation in January 6th. But I think what they're saying is that they would like to see the committees go forward on their investigations. The Senate Rules Committee and the Senate Homeland Security Committee, they are both doing bipartisan investigations. And so I think for McConnell and for Senate Republicans, I think the question is, why would we have another commission looking into this, talking about the sixth, when we have these other bipartisan processes going on. Yeah, I think the quote he had when he spoke on the floor, the Senate floor, uh, in opposition to this idea was that it's unclear what new facts a commission might Mm -hmm. bring out, I guess. And I think it's telling that he brought Senator Portman and Blunt, who are the ranking members of the Homeland Security Committee and the Rules Committee. And the fact that both of them do not like the idea of the commission says a lot. And what Republicans will argue is that they still think it's the whole thing is going to be politicized. You know, and I think we have to really think about, too, the fact that there is just a serious lack of trust between Republicans and Democrats, just generally speaking. And I think Republicans are naturally suspicious of Pelosi. Pelosi is naturally suspicious of McConnell. Like, I think that there's just a real lack of trust on 
both sides and i think that that is also a huge part of this which is why you would think they would be interested in the commission because then they don't have to worry about trusting each other other people are going to do it um no the other thing i found interesting on this was you know in terms of new facts mm-hmm. and what will a new commission actually uncover it's a good question one of the things that i've noticed in the hill oversight we've seen so far of january 6th is that a lot of it has focused on you know the I guess the security and the fortification Mm -hmm. of the Capitol after the riot, the National Guard, um, how long, you know, it took for the National Guard to get here, what was going on at the Pentagon. But one of the things we haven't seen is sort of the the political investigation of this, Mm -hmm. which is what was Trump doing in the White House? Mm -hmm. What did Mark Meadows, what was he telling the Pentagon, the chief of staff, Mark Meadows? And so in terms of questions, there are a lot of them that I think people are genuinely curious about in terms of what happened on the 6th. And, you know, as we're seeing this commission sort of fade or Mm -hmm. the possibility of it happening actually fade, you're starting to realize we may never get answers to some of these questions. Mm -hmm. Another thing that McConnell brought up and that you brought up earlier was staff. He mentioned that, you know, this commission, it's going to be staffed by a person who's going to be picked by the Democrats. It seems, though, given how much we've seen Democrats bend over backwards to try to get bipartisan support for this, that this is something he could ask for Mm -hmm. and get potentially. But that's just one concern he brought up. You mentioned, you know, this dragging into election year. Clearly, he Mm -hmm. doesn't want that. He's also concerned about how this will impact law enforcement and criminal investigations that are going on with the rioters right now. So it almost seems like the complaints that he's laying out are things that Maybe you could fix one or two of them, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them are things Democrats can't really do because they're concerns about, you know, political issues during election year. I mean, that's a concern that will continue, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what Democrats say, it's still a fear for him. Yeah. And I think um, one other concern that Blunt's laid out is just, is Congress going to waste time waiting for the results of this commission instead of just moving forward with what they need to do based on the reports that are coming out of the different committees that are investigating what happened on the 6th. One question I have, and I'm curious your take on this, is are Republicans who are critical of Trump missing a moment here in that, like, we know Mitch McConnell doesn't like Trump. We know he's done with Trump. He doesn't want to talk about him anymore and doesn't want him to be part of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. As far as he's concerned, he can fade into the background. But is McConnell missing a moment in that if he endorsed a bipartisan commission and they, you know, were able to give a full accounting of what Trump did or didn't do on January 6th, couldn't that help in terms of trying to move the party past Trump? Is I guess I'm wondering, is McConnell missing an opportunity here to get what he wants long term, which is to have the party move beyond Trump? Look, McConnell's made it very clear he no longer wants to talk about Trump. And I think that Republicans, like, privately also recognize that Democrats' favorite foil is Donald Trump. (laughs) And so I think that both McConnell and Thune and some of the other Senate Republicans, they want to get back to the message that we are the party of ideas. We're not surrounded around one person. And I think anytime you inject Trump into the conversation into anything, you know, it's going to be partisan where it's going to be fighting with the Democrats and the Republicans really want to focus on Biden and they want to focus on the spending and they want to focus on just winning at this point. And I think that 
McConnell has been very clear that the less he talk, he he just does not want to talk about Trump and does not ever take the bait whenever reporters ask mm-hmm. him about this at stakeout. Like, I mean, we were asking him about Liz Cheney and um, he, he has made it very clear he does not want to engage and whether that's because of his own personal dislike for the president, whether that's the fact that Trump keeps attacking him. I mean, Trump is talking to Senate Republicans in the midterms. I mean, he is, it's, it's very clear Trump is not going to go off quietly into the night. Like he is playing a very big role in Republicans' chances of taking back the Senate and the House. And I think that, you know, McConnell probably recognizes that. And I think the less, you know, intraparty conflict there is, the better chance they have at taking back both these chambers. I mean, that's how I would interpret it. So what do you think we will see then in the Senate? I mean, Chuck Schumer said that he's going to bring this up for a vote, right? He's Mm -hmm. not going to sort of let it just sit there just because Republicans um, are squawking about it. How many Republicans do you think will actually vote for this? Do you think it has any chance of passing uh, what is your prediction? As of right now, I don't think, I, I think it has very slim chances of passing. I think, I mean, we saw with McConnell's remarks on Wednesday morning that a lot of people who were even open to the idea pretty promptly said that, no, they did not think the commission as structured would be helpful. And I mean, you have some people like Senator Susan Collins, Senator Mitt Romney, who I think would support a commission if changes are made to it. The staffing issue, the fact that they want this to wrap up at the end of the year. I think that those are issues that Senate Republicans who, you know, the minority of people who voted to give Trump earlier this year are probably open to that. But I would say that the vast majority do not support this idea. We talked to Mike Rounds of South Dakota, who a day before the um, McConnell announcement had said that he was open to the idea of a commission. And then on Wednesday had breakfast with McConnell, Blunt, Kevin McCarthy, um, some other Republicans were there as well. And he said after that breakfast that he did not feel like the commission was actually bipartisan in its structure. And so we very quickly saw that a lot of Republicans, once McConnell had spoken, and once McCarthy had spoken, to be frank, were very much less willing to embrace this idea. And as you know, you need 10 Republican votes to get this commission passed. And right now, I just really don't see that happening unless there are major changes. And even then, it's hard to see a lot of the caucus going along with it. Yeah, if you can't get Mitt Romney and Susan Collins, then you got a problem, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, Rachel, you've been writing a book about Trump's impeachment. And it sounds like you had to do um, a lot of rewriting after January 6th. And I'm curious, what is your big picture take on all of this? You have followed House Republicans better than anyone. You understand this dynamic really, really well. Yeah, I mean, my big takeaway on all of this is that Hill oversight is dead. I mean, I think we've seen from the past two years that there is no bipartisan oversight of the executive branch. Um, When Democrats try to investigate Trump, Republicans call it a witch hunt. They can't get any Republicans on board. And I think like, granted, there were some mistakes that Democrats made, right? And there were moments where they could have perhaps made a few changes to get some Republicans to come along with them. But even this idea of taking it out of the hands of Congress, um, which to me seemed to make a lot of sense, you know, if you take it out of the hands of Democrats, if you take it out of the hands of Republicans and you put it in, you know, the jurisdiction of this independent committee where, you know, nobody's 
pressured by their leadership. It's just a group of people investigating, trying to find out the truth of what happened. Mm -hmm. That could potentially be real oversight. And even that is dead. It's not happening. I mean, Republicans won't back something like this uh, right now. So, I mean, my big takeaway, as I said, is just there is no checks and balances anymore. There's no Mm -hmm. oversight. And the other big takeaway, which I think people have talked about, is just how much control Trump still has over the party. Mm -hmm. You know, he's been impeached twice, and he still has so much traction with Republican voters. He still has sway over all these Republican lawmakers. Mm -hmm. In terms of investigations, they've failed. Uh, This man is still powerful, Um, And even after January 6th, when his followers stormed the Capitol in search of, you know, members of Congress, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to kill members of Congress, and this man still has power over the party. So it's truly remarkable to see the full arc of, you know, the Democratic takeover in 2019 uh, all the way through now in early 2021. And the big lesson is oversight is done. It's broken. You know, at the end of the day, I think we have to look at how both parties are going to approach the day and the impact that the insurrection had. I mean, at the end of the day, this was an attack on the Capitol and an attack on democracy. And I think that there are still many questions that members of both parties would like answered. And the question of how that goes about, the question of whether politics gets in the way, which it of course always does, is something that is important to understand an event that people were going to read about in the history books for a very long time. It's hard to describe what it was like, but all of us, I don't think that there was anyone who was here, who didn't feel like for a moment that their life was on the line. I certainly felt that way. I think my colleagues certainly did. And it was unlike anything any of us had ever experienced. I mean, whether you're a senator, whether you're a staffer, whether you're a reporter, when you come to the Capitol, it's supposed to be the safest building probably in Washington, maybe outside of the Defense Department or something. But it is, um, you know, it's not an area where you think anything bad's going to happen. There's police officers everywhere. You go through security and um, to live through the attack in the Capitol is just, you know, I think most people who are here want answers, whether that's through um, the form of a commission, through an investigation. I mean, I think I'm, it's not my role to say how Congress or how our government should go about this. But I think that anyone who is here, of course, wants to know more about how we had such a deep lapse in security failure and how to avoid this from ever happening again. Marianne, I'm sure you have to get to a Senate stakeout right now, so I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much for chatting with me about this. It's been great. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, that's our show. Our producers are Adrian Hurst and Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Amen. Our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you're listening. We'll take you behind the scenes of Capitol Hill again next week on another Playbook Deep Dive. Thanks for listening. Thank you.